Welcome to the Evolution Exchange Nordics podcast. Today I'm joined with Florian, who is currently a direct engineering director at Klarna, but has an incredible background of being a founder of a smaller startup that was acquired by Klarna. And today we'll be talking all things to do with entrepreneurship, tech transitions, and how to get the most out of people. So Florian, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Sophie, thank you very much for having me. I am wonderful uh, and happy to share some some stories of the past and some of the future and some of the in-between. Um, so I'll drop a quick introduction, uh, if that is fine for you. Wonderful. So uh, as you already mentioned, uh, I'm the founder of Stokart. Uh, we'll dig more into the history of Stokart and what we do later. So let's keep it with that. I was the tech guy in the founding team. That might be the interesting uh, piece of information. Uh, Stokart joined forces with Klarna in 2021 on the birthday of my mom, with it, which is the 21st of July. So always a double celebration day. Um, Nowadays, as you mentioned, I'm an engineering director, Klana taking care, well, of engineering at the, shout out, uh, install and retail relationships domain within Klana, uh, where also Stokart uh, is a part of, um, and apart from the Stokart people, a lot of other very awesome people that I'm taking care of. Um, all of work, well, I have a lovely family, uh, two, a wonderful wife. Uh, two wonderful kids. Uh, they are on sick leave from daycare today. So if we have a surprise visitor on this oh. podcast, uh, bear with me. Um, well, what, what what else defines me? Well, in my free time, uh, I'm a passionate pen and paper role-playing player uh, and game master. We also come, might touch that later on, might be interesting. And I picked up like Brazilian jiu-jitsu uh, around about four years ago. So... Both very valuable activities, also in my work life. So oh. it's <laughs> nice. No, amazing intro, amazing, and thank you f- for joining me. I think we spoke before we hosted this podcast, um, and I know that you've got a really good story. So I'm super excited that you've chosen our podcast to share it with. Hi everyone, this is Chris Bennett here, and Nordic's managing director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. I suppose <laughs> let's start right at the beginning. Talk us through your journey from kind of founding Stokard, then to its acquisition by Klarna. Start there. Sure. Uh, well, happy to start. So at one point in time, I went to daycare. No, uh, let's fast <laughs> forward a bit. <laughs> I studied something with economics and computer science in Germany. Uh, then I PhD'd something uh, with software engineering. So I stayed true to the computer science part uh, of my former self. Uh, and then on a fateful day, uh, I had a lunch with my two co-founders. Uh, they 
well, returned a few weeks uh, earlier from one of those student Australia road trip uh, moments where inspiration hit them and they came up uh, with the idea for Stokart. And as they uh, knew that they needed more support on the on the tech side, uh, I was, well, not easily convinced. I was critical, but uh, I liked the idea very much. And so we joined forces and kicked things off. That was somewhere in 2020, not 2021, 20. 12, I think 2011, something like that. So um, then early days, well, of course, I always was founder and CTO, but uh, being the CTO of a three-people company with probably 1.5 engineers, uh, there's not a lot of CTOing to do. So at this stage, <laughs> I did a lot of Android development, uh, then switched over to the dark side of the backend. Uh, so away from UI, one of my, uh, and I openly also share that wherever I can, one of my weaknesses is creating wonderful and nice UIs. So if you ever need insights on front end, don't call me, please. Uh, and from the world of the backend, I then moved over into uh, DevOps infrastructure, uh, well, getting the ecosystem ready to scale uh, for what is to come. And then uh, at one point in time, uh, that was kind of probably a few years before uh, our exit to Plana, uh, the, the shoes that had the label of CTO on them suddenly became the right size for me to fit in, to take care of knowledge management, connecting people, taking care of the technology strategy, interweaving that with product, etc., uh, and I also happily filled that role. So from a stoker perspective, we went, I would say, through the classical phases. So uh, first of all, well, building the proof of concept, is our idea actually something that people want? Uh, then, of course, off-funding, off-capital very early, a lot of uh, hacks, a lot of uh, kind of using PR for marketing, like Silicon Valley in Mannheim, what is next? Uh, stories like that. Then we had an intense phase of after we realized, well, we seem to solve a problem for people, but uh, it's it's not quite 100% aligned what we deliver with what the people want. So uh, a phase of finding and hunting for the product market fit. Um, we'll come to that later, but data-driven product management and squeezing out these, ah, another percent of conversion more, nice, uh, here a change, oh, look at that, the impact is nice. Uh, so very interesting and intriguing phase, but was also very intense. Uh, and then after we had the feeling of, wow, look at those numbers, people seem to like us and they stay true <laughs> to us. Uh, there was basically uh, a phase where we at the same time tackled monetization and then also growth. Um, I guess in the in the end game before we we exited to Plana, we were around about like 100 people, uh, 70 million users, and well facilitated around about just the the wonderful uh, vanity metric, two billion uh, point of sales transactions uh, per year. Um, on the road, I think it was a, a wild mix of things. So there were hard times. So uh, for, for a recent talk, I actually researched that one and the, the most non-beloved airport in the world is the Tenzing Hillary Airport somewhere in Nepal. So this is where you fly to if you want to 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 to, to hike. Uh, and it has like a very, very short runway. And afterwards, there's a cliff and you basically oh, fall wow. down. So uh, this mirrors a bit the experience we at some <laughs> points had in terms of funding. So... <laughs> There, especially like the product market fit phase, but then there were also the good times and here the well, the boring good times of yay, new release and woohoo, a new financing round, or yay, we're joining forces with Plana. Uh, 
for me personally, I guess the, the fondest memories and the ones that stick are this kind of crazy, fun things together with an amazing team. Like, uh, well, I had this crazy idea of doing X. And so, <clears throat> that sounds interesting. Let's stop sleeping for two days, uh, execute it, and see if we can impact uh, the needle of our of our KPIs for that. Yeah, it sounds like an amazing journey in terms of lots of ups, lots of downs. I imagine lots of things that didn't work out well, lots of things that did. Sure. Um, and give us a bit of an overview over what Stalkard actually is and how it how it looks today. Absolutely. So uh, Stalkard basically is Euro Europe's leading digital wallet. So uh, back then in 2012, uh, three people we were like, okay, wallets will disintegrate and disappear at one point in time, thanks to these interesting smartphone things that were becoming a thing <laughs> back then. Um, and the first idea and the first thought is, well, let, let's do payment. Uh, but well, uh, payment A <laughs> is heavily regulated, uh, a lot of compliance over that, plus three people, no budget, um, might not have been the easiest entry into the game. We tackled it then later on. Um, but uh, we actually looked into people's wallets. Uh, and I think the uh, girlfriend of one of my founders, uh, she actually had a wallet for shopping and a wallet for, uh, for, for like going into the club. So the one was tiny and only fit like your ID, your driver's license, stuff like that. Uh, and the other one was filled with, surprise, loyalty cards, membership cards. Uh, so we were like, no, wait a second. Uh, many of those just are like have a barcode on them. So yeah. maybe the point of sale just scans them and that's it. Uh, so our first uh, proof of concept actually was a Photoshop, uh, Photoshop picture of a loyalty card. Uh, we went to the point of sale and we were like, dear lady, we would like to get our loyalty uh, uh -huh. uh, points with this. And she was like, what is happening? <laughs> yeah, are these guys hacking me? Uh, will it work? And then she raised her scanner gun and beep. Um, well, first technical concept, check. Uh, and from there, we evolved around, uh, kind of evolving around that use case that is, hey, instead of carrying like, on average, 16 loyalty cards with you in your wallet. Um, digitize all of them, leave the plastic at home, uh, and then just use your smartphone at the point of sale to get those rewards, uh, increase your status, uh, your membership status, etc. Um, and then over time, uh, we broadened the use case to cater to well the capabilities and the things that you can do when you're running on a smartphone. So. Mm -hmm. uh, Things like you can log into your account, see, uh, are those points from my last shopping spree already on my account? Uh, can I activate some coupon that might be available? Uh, and then also, and this is where it got interesting for the merchant side, uh, how about we deliver that customer information that usually comes via email or via mail and it both actually directly lands into the trash uh, yeah. in a way that might people actually get into browsing. So interacting uh, with the material. So basically using Stokart as a marketing channel for that, uh, but with the nice property, that is why I said user information, not ads. Uh, in the end, by knowing what loyalty cards a certain user has, uh, the easiest way of personalization and customization is like, hey, this is content especially and directly targeted at your loyalty cards. Look at that. And then from there, we could also spin it wider in the sense of, hey, uh, 
I don't know, Miles and More card, Hilton Honors card, um, and some more. This could be the traveling salesman. Uh, so let's see what kind of content we can uh, expose that person to. Um, and uh, that was really interesting for the merchants. And the other very nice thing is that we have kind of a unique capability, and that is tracking purchases. So, um, well, Google and Facebook, they are tackling that via how long have you been in a geofence, uh, how much time did you spend in a store, quote-unquote, um, which they are well, now heavily battling with the uh, manufacturers of the devices, as I guess also in everybody's interest, privacy is a thing. Um, but then also the other side uh, for us was that, hey, we can see when people use a loyalty card. So um, if somebody looked at a specific uh, user information, a catalog, a brochure, hey, that, that, that new shirt looks amazing, goes to the, show, uh, the store uh, and actually uses uh, their loyalty card on checkout, we can tell a, a coherent, a cohesive story to the, the merchant that is, hey, we think that we might have influenced that quite a lot. Mm -hmm. With that, suddenly you're at, 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 at tracking basically on, on the purchase level, uh, which is a very powerful and, and also very valuable capability. Yeah, definitely. Do you know what? I see the advantage, advantages from both angles. It kind of seems like I imagine now, for, for me, I'm thinking, oh, well, that's like a no-brainer. Why wouldn't you want all your loyalty cards? But back then, it obviously wasn't as common. It wasn't a thing. Like you said, smartphones were kind of on the rise. Um, Absolutely. So yeah, it's kind of the, the development of it. Uh, it's very impressive. Thank you. Um, so yeah, I think you mentioned earlier, kind of started with what three people okay. grew to a hundred, and I know that you're someone who is quite passionate about people and okay. engagement. Um, tell us more on how did you kind of prioritize and create this culture of engagement within Storecard? Yeah. Uh very good thing. Uh, I mean, early stage, a lot of that just came naturally. I mean, for your 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 first engineer, your your first uh, business person, your first sales person, they basically they they drink like the mother's milk of the company, right? <laughs> they 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 are one with the product and they stay one with the product. I think uh, what helped us a lot and basically this is one of the things that i can claim all solely for myself is uh, i mentioned the pen and paper role-playing thing right so uh, the operational model of stokart uh, for quite some time was evolving uh, around heroes forming autonomous parties that then solved and went on quests uh, to achieve basically those goals uh, and then in the off time they went to into the academies where they improved like the state of the art or, or help basically supporting things uh, all around so um, in a sense you can insert like the classic agile manifesto items like collaboration, empowerment trust but I would also name authenticity um, but in the end uh making the business goals tangible and accessible to people um, and then them allowing them to understand not just kind of the usual line would be how they can they contribute to it but I think the much more important part is how can they shape that oh, so so it's not only I implement tech ticket XYZ or uh, I improve my system to be five percent cheaper faster better or the product converts two percent better uh, the, the shaping part, I think many of the great ideas that were not like an A-B test that had like a gradual improvement, but where we had like disruptive and, and great events of change, 
that were these these occasions that I also formally mentioned, where somebody with with weary and uh, eyes comes into the office is like, I did not sleep, but look at it, <laughs> I, I can lock lock into my, I think it's Chibo, like a German coffee chain. I can uh, lock my Chibo account and look how many beans I have. <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, and and this is something that that disrupted things. Uh, and then where the validation of it also showed that it has a tremendous positive impact. Another another one of the things, as you mentioned before, it's so intuitive and should be straightforward. But uh, early days, we scanned that loyalty card and then we presented basically the, the barcode, the number, like in an edit, basically the, the card was in edit mode. So as if uh, a user uh, could scan the barcode with his, with his magic eyes and see if everything is right or not. Uh, and then like simple idea, but it took quite some time. I was like, what if we jump directly into the display part of that experience? Uh, um, tiny change. But for the user, things suddenly became magical. It was this eye scan. And usually if the camera is in focus and the, and, and the phone is not from 2012, uh, <laughs> the, the card might not even be in focus or on the screen. And suddenly, poof, here's your card. And this... Yeah. Also yeah. uh, created a lot of those, wow, and I need to tell my family, my friends, and all people I know about this magical app uh, moments. So um, shaping, basically, the company shaping what they're doing um, and then giving them responsibility, I think is important, uh, part of that agile mix. Um, multiple roles and multiple perspective, I think, is important. So don't kind of, again, in a company with 10 people, uh, A, you can listen in on all the sales calls happening. You can listen in on all the investor calls even happening. Uh, and you're up to speed on anything. So having these different perspectives is such so very, very valuable. Um, in order to scale that, what you need is basically open communications. You need to stay transparent. You need to enable people to A, understand goals, but also understand data and make the, like data literacy. Uh, and then make the data available to people. So um, kind of, this is one of those uh, those usual stories of hey, if you poke a random engineer, a random product manager, a random BizOps person, and be like, hey, what is the goal your team basically is furthering, and where are you currently? Um, at at SoCup, people would pull out our analytics tool and would be like, well, yeah, we are optimizing this. This is our funnel. And last month we had this one change that pushed it by one percent. And I think. Uh, from there, people will take it on their own and they will also imbue the spirit where once you grow and once you uh, you, you you move forward and on this uh, evolution and, and growth trajectory of the company. Um, and then probably last but not least in the cultural uh, part as well, embrace failure. Uh, everybody says that, but just kind of, if an A-B test fails, you embrace it, it failed. Um, if it is dear to heart for someone, then you can you can create another test. You can improve on the on the candidates and see if we find a solution there or if you see high potential. But okay. also there are situations where you need to be like, yeah, nope, sorry, that's me. Yeah. <laughs> um, leaving the culture part, um, what, what helped us, again, product management, very data-driven, very test-based, hypothesis, test, validation, and then iterate on that ad infinitum. Uh, is what allowed us to arrive at the user experience that we have today, which is mind-blowingly good. Um, and then, and this is more of a behind-the-scenes topic, uh, engineering excellence. So um, 
there is this dial that is basically uh well high velocity probably low quality uh lower velocity probably higher quality uh in the end it's not a, a binary decision but finding the right spot on that scale uh we had a tendency to be on the let's rather move a bit slower but in exchange have high quality to not basically uh well pester future us with systems exploding things that need maintenance uh Friday. Well, we had a phase of fr Friday evening because then usually the the great push push campaigns went out. So basically, your mm -hmm. like the new catalog of your favorite fashion retailer went online. So five o'clock, six o'clock, gigantic pushes. Like we had one push campaign yeah. on the regular basis to all of Italy, which was I don't know ten million users back then. Um, and yes, the, the backend systems were not happy to put it like that. <laughs> <laughs> so that motivated us very strongly to improve things and to to arrive at the target quality that we want to have yeah nice no it sounds like just listening that kind of the the feeling or the vibe is very much of an empowerment to the employees and kind of really promoting ownership and almost like uh, we're in this together and everybody's quite equal um, and it sounds like that definitely did actually contribute to the company's success because you've got people who are passionate how did that culture evolve after the acquisition by Klarna, how did things change if they did? Uh, very interesting question. So uh, I think, uh, well, full transparency, Klarna was not the only company we talked to. But with Klarna, the, the baseline wipe. So I think uh, my, my, my co-founder met uh, a certain Sebastian from Sweden <laughs> uh, with some pink company uh, <laughs> on some venture conference and uh, they uh, shared their stories, they stayed in touch and then I kind of, we were in contact with Kana probably for, for some years, just keeping each other updated on things that are happening. Um, and I think during that, the, valid, the, the baseline validation of <laughs> is, is the CEO vibe compatible with us? Uh, but then also during the process, we, we very early learned that Klarna, despite being a bank, uh, has a vibe that is very compatible to like a startup or, well, Stokart specifically, but also startups in general. So uh, it's similar, but of course, there's also differences. So like the, the different size, different stage, different products um, led to, well, friction, of course, uh, because things need to 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 find alignment. We need to, to to find the right way. So the so-called ops model basically grew with the company from three to one hundred. Uh, well, for Klarna too, but they were at like seven thousand people. Mm -hmm. So um, that is probably one difference. They were much more mature in their processes in what they did. Uh, but then at the same time, with one hundred people, Stokart was a few steps away from the. Okay, we need to start the the process game and the diligent documentation game. So mm. uh, before that, of course, the risk appetite of a startup, consumer facing, no regulators, no bank licenses at danger, <laughs> things like that. Uh, mm. The risk appetite was significantly different. Um, but um, I think, as I said, the vibe from Canada was very similar, and that helped. I think if the baseline. Uh, is a light that helped us to find our ways and find the right ways of uh, a embedding Stockard into Planner and then removing the concept of well this is one bubble and going into a being a part of Planner to put it like that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think um, 
me and my team, we work with Klarna a lot. We kind of place a lot of freelancers into many different teams. And when we kind of explain to a lot of people who join Klarna is that it's almost like one of the biggest companies, but it is very much a startup feel. It's almost like the teams have a lot of autonomy, a lot of ownership. And I think until you work at Klarna or you work with Klarna in some sense, you don't really understand it. Um, so I can imagine it was quite comfortable to know, okay, we've got this huge organization that share the same values. We're confident that we can kind of make a good partnership. Absolutely. Totally right. Nice. And how was it in terms of the employees at Stalkard? So was there any kind of concerns or worries and how did you kind of communicate and, and have that transparency during the acquisition? Absolutely. So, um, well, kind of, I think one of those major challenges, and this is where, where your question aims at, uh, is, well, change management and communication for, for such a transition, for, for, for such a process. Um, let me start with an anecdote. Uh, well, it was probably the 19th of July or the 20th of July, or rather the 21st of July, 2021, Uh we just spent two days at the notary because uh, in Germany, the notary needs to read everything uh, to you. Um, I well, had a horrible cold, was basically on, on painkillers for two days. Uh, afterwards, after the deal was signed and everything was settled, I think we, we found us, we, we were like, energy level was like that. Of course, we did a bit of celebration um, and then got our well-deserved sleep and we're like, okay, Friday, all hands, it's Wednesday today. Uh, all good. Uh, we have time to prep. The amazing communication team uh, from Klana also uh, offered their help. So what should go wrong, right? Um, and then on the next morning, the first WhatsApps were coming in like, hey, congrats. Hey, wow. And we were like, whoa, no, wait a second. We should still be in the, in the news embargo phase, right? Uh, and then, well, somebody seems to have leaked it to the press. Uh, so for some of our employees, they actually got the news from their press review no. on the Google alert rather than from us. So it was like, turn, okay, let's add more energy and let's add more painkillers um, <laughs> and prep that all hands in the next three hours. Uh, again, here also shout out to the to the comms team from Klana that supported us a lot. Uh, then we shared the information uh, with the people in a very good way. So I think we kind of uh, mitigated a lot of the impact that the, uh, the, the leak had. But um, communication is key. So change will always, and probably always, I don't say a lot of always, but I would say change will always lead to fear, uncertainty, and doubt uh, in varying sizes. Uh, in the end, if it is kind of for us founders, it was easier as well. We knew some people from the company. We knew that things are compatible. We knew what is going on. What is the strategic vision? Where did we come from? So the, the parameters were different. But if you opened like your your random uh, browser this morning and headed to some kind of business uh, news sites, you were like, what is happening? Yeah, uh, of course. And so people are, they're not sure what will happen. What will happen to my job? Will they change something to my job? What will we do in a few months? Uh, and that needs very diligent and good communication um, and also transparency. So um, in the end, we had a lot of Q&As, a lot of town halls, uh, also together with the M&A team from Klana, also shout outs here, uh, <laughs> to 
address kind of to, to get basically the gossip from the, the the hallways into a room where people could talk about them and could realize like oh it's not only me that has this question mark or oh we're all in the same boat and that also kind of i think of course did uh, klana had like a a run book a playbook on on m&a's but then again M&As and companies and people are just so different that yeah. there's no way there's a silver bullet that just can solve like M&A, like execute process and you're done. Uh, so um, that that baseline process helped us. But then in the end, a lot of the questions were like, hey, honestly, people, I don't know. I will find out and follow up. And that is a totally different uh, message than, let's not talk about that. <laughs> or yeah, yeah, yeah. Having, having that discussion in the hallway of, uh, mm, have you heard of X? I'm not sure what's happening there. Oh, me too. And then you have this, this rings of gossips, rumors starting yeah. and things like that. So key to, to successful change management is communication. Yeah, I like that. You know, I've never heard of anyone doing a company-wide Q&A, but it makes so much sense when you explain it as like, what are the negatives? And I was almost going to ask, but you answered. Was there any questions that come up that you didn't know the answer to? But it sounds like you just was very honest with that, handled it quite well and was like, let me find out the answer we don't know right now. Uh, absolutely. And and then again, I don't think that there's a silver bullet. So for a different culture, for a different company, probably that, that is not the, the, the way to approach it. But uh, coming from a culture of, well, transparency, everybody has... A, kind of the, the reverse of need to know basically everybody can see everything if there's no strong reason to not see it um it just made sense to have this public forum of people talking and speaking i mean covid also could then became a thing uh at one point in time so the, yeah. the connection that people had also was, was uh, disrupted uh so this was very very helpful uh and then again sometimes it just helped the people to vent i mean there might be, you know that there's you get this piece of information there's this news you read that one sentence in a policy uh and, and and slowly but surely your steam cooker is getting steam and pressure and then sometimes yeah. it's just helpful to get things out somebody actually openly openly listening to them jotting them down and then following up on things so yeah. really really helpful exercise if yeah, do you know what? That is a, a really key piece of advice. And I'm sure anyone listening, no matter how big the teams are, how big the company is, there's a way that, that like you say, we've changed. There's always, I find I've got a team of eight people now. And sometimes it'll be a message gets passed to one person, then it gets passed to another, and it slightly changes, and then slightly changes. as And then by the time it comes to the last person, it's like, well, that's completely different to the mm -hmm. beginning message. So it's kind of like making sure that everybody's on the same page. And, and just having that conversation together. No, I absolutely love that. So thank you for sharing. <laughs> My pleasure. <laughs> and I suppose, so we're in a position where, okay, we've transitioned from Stocard to larger organization. What would you say were the key kind of lessons that you learned from that whole transition phase? Uh, interesting. So um, for me as an engineer, um, scaling things in tech is easy and i know that engineers will throw things at me now <laughs> especially my teams um but and maybe, let, 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 let me try to rephrase it so uh if you like implemented the right patterns in the right way and on the right infrastructure then scaling things is not hard probably that's a nice way of, of putting it yeah. but scaling organizations 
people while maintaining properties such as flexibility, that family spirit, empowerment, uh, transparency also on, on data, uh, kind of, uh, that is challenging. So also kind of looking back, I guess, early stages, I was very much a, a technology person. I was kind of fiddling around with Android, making the user experience nice, making it fast, making it work in this context or in that one, then making the backend scale, scaling infrastructure. But uh, the important part, and this is probably from the, the second half of the last third of Stoker and from Klarna that I see as the major challenge in if you scale a company and, and its products, of course, is scaling pipeline orgs. So um, you will have a loss of visibility. So, um, A, you're not longer in that one 16 square meter room with the other five people and just know everything all the time. Uh, and over a coffee, you learn the remaining 10%. But you either have no visibility or you have like very indirect uh, visibility. And then also, thanks to the, to the size, uh, what you would consider like a pragmatic solution for a problem in your scope I mean, this is kind of uh, things that I also today uh, still sometimes need to take a step back and think about, okay, this solves my problem here locally in Stockard, would have done <laughs> a proof, let's go. <laughs> but then uh, taking a step back and thinking about, okay, in the huge picture of Klarna, where like fairness and consistency is a, is a, is a very, very strong focus, that might not be the case of the pragmatic solution uh, while it solves that local problem. Uh, it's possible that in the large picture, it leads to significant problems once you enter like fairness and consistency. So that, that needs to be uh, ensured. The other part is indirections. <laughs> so also plays into visibility, uh, but um, more in the part of do I know which tactical pattern is implemented in each system of the teams that I support as an engineer? I don't. And I also don't consider it to be part of my role. Um, very, very similar. Um, the same goes for senior leadership. So can I expect each of our uh, senior leaders, of our CXOs, to know each and every product inside of Klarna? Probably not. So... Yeah. When creating communications, and that is not only to senior leadership, but also to the rest of Klarna, kind of, you need to realize that, that you are in your little, well, not a bubble, but in your little boat, maybe, uh, yeah. on this uh, this little lake that is Klarna, where there are a lot of boats <laughs> passing back and forth, some people swimming around. But in order to convey what you need to achieve your goals, what uh, changes that you introduce, uh, and especially if you need something from another boat, uh, yeah. you need to well explain it like I'm five so A what is the product why do you need that what do you need uh, and don't have any assumptions of ah oh, yeah sure I don't need to explain it they will for sure know that um, one interesting thing is uh, and there sometimes I catch people actually uh, is in Stokart we had a very strict no abbreviation and acronym at all policy oh interesting that, that made like communications or, or also system names uh but we had the loyalty loyalty card integration service yada, yada. it was a gigantic name but in the end the, the the benefit is you pay with characters but you get people have kind of an instant understanding of what what things are doing and that is also of course true for non-tech uh and sometimes i'm like the, the naive guy of excuse me what is the abbreviation <laughs> <laughs> if you see me, the people are like, hmm, yeah, uh, 
that's this and that. I'm like, okay, but what does it mean? Yeah. Uh, uh, actually, nobody knows. I'm like, okay, thank you. <laughs> I will add it to the glossary. Um, but uh, again, make sure that the the frame of of uh, knowledge and the frame of and the context that you are uh, operating in, to put it like that, is well established. If especially if you're talking to people outside of your scope, and again, as a startup uh, coming into this very large. Lana Lake, let's take, stay with the metaphor. Uh, <laughs> people will have a very high knowledge of, yeah, Stokard, there was something with an acquisition and they do something with an app. That is probably, uh, if, they, if they were attentive, what people might have uh, grasped as a baseline. And then you need to, to well, take a few steps back, uh, tell the story of Stokard, maybe tell your story so people uh, get a grasp on your background, uh, and then you can start working together. But establishing that in a gigantic organization is key. Yeah, I can imagine. I'm just imagining now the the kind of clan lake, almost like a pink Venice, pink boats, pink water. Like flamingo <laughs> floats and stuff yeah. like Here we go. It sounds very fun. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think really good piece of advice. And it sounds almost like logical when you think about it. But I can imagine going through this journey um lots and lots of learns and i imagine lots of growth for you as a leader as well um what advice would you give to other kind of tech startup leaders who either are going through an acquisition or considering one is there any kind of key piece of advice that you would give to them um now knowing what you know now oh wow uh yeah happy to share so i think let's start with the considering part first um can make sense from the timeline perspective. So um, my kids are three and five now. So uh, I'm, I'm still far away from that phase, but uh, I, I, I'm already afraid of that. But at one point in time, the children come of age uh, <laughs> and they prepare themselves to leave the nest. Uh, even earlier, they will have suddenly some, some somewhat a daycare who tells them and who takes part in their education. You will have a, a teacher that starts to tell them things about the world. Um, you will have a sports coach that maybe supports them in build, in growing as a person or in their sports. You will have friends, uh, maybe even boyfriends or girlfriends. Uh, and they all will have a say in that in in that in your children's life. Mm. Um, now let's transfer that concept to your startup. It's very similar. Yeah. So uh you, you might have investors on board, you might have advisors on board, you might have a board on board. Um, and these people, usually very smart, will give you good advice. Uh, in most cases, you are probably still at the trigger finger in, in, this, in, the, in the sense of will we do it or not. Uh, but then again, kind of based on some agreements you made, you might need to do certain things or, or strive for certain strategic goals. So... Um, while you are, while your children are still small, no, uh, while you are still quote unquote in control, um, you can go for those problematic solutions. You usually uh, are in control about what do people need to know? What do, kind of, uh, what do I share with people? What uh, is the uh, transparency that I have of what do I agree with investors and what does that mean for the company and for the employees? Um, once you are in uh, you 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 sold your exited you you acquired you joined forces with another company um 
your position changes. So uh, usually, of course, the, the acquiring company is not interested in just, I don't know, getting those 70 million users or uh, getting those people on board or getting those merchant contracts. Uh, but they want to, to get the, the company and what it embodies. So in Stokart, that was, well, Europe's leading loyalty wallet. Mm -hmm. uh, so, and then the, the thing is, after the acquisition, it, it doesn't stop, right? It's not like this done and... Uh, just do something. In the end, everybody's interested in carrying that further. Okay. But uh, for the consideration is, it's important that uh, you need this, and I, I kind of we talked about it a few minutes ago. So you need to contextualize things suddenly. So it's not like like uh, you tell the story of yeah, we, now this is our next strategic uh, reasonable next step, uh, and we are going for that now. No, suddenly you have basically a larger interest, a larger strategy of of Klarna at that. Uh, that you need to align with and that you, that where you need to make sure that uh, our pragmatic solution or our pragmatic strategy uh, that would help to support Stokart and Stokart uh, goals might not be aligned with what Klana has. Mm. So you need to be open to engage in this discussion to align. It's not like a, they take the company away from you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You yeah, yeah, yeah. and you need to look at what they do. That's not the case. But you need to be open to uh, well, have excellent advice and excellent people to bounce your ideas off, but then also accept feedback that you get, even if it might only be 80% aligned with what you want to do. I think this is one part. Um, and the other part is establishing early what the vision is. So if you're in this consideration or in the early discussion phases. So uh, what I just mentioned, is it like a consumer story? So is the, the company interested in the people that, that use your app? Uh, is it like a customer story? Are the people interested in those merchants and then the connections and network that you have? Is it a people story? Are they uh, hunting for those excellent engineers that you have? Uh, and aligning on that, like, uh, is it all of that? Is it parts of that? Uh, and making sure that you don't like wake up a year later and be like, but uh, this is not what I wanted. So talking early about, hey, what is the strategic outlook uh, of things? And then again, you will not be able to 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 put the strategic outlook uh, or chisel it into stone and then have it like for the next 10 years stable. I mean, one thing that is, well, that is constant at Klarna is change. I think this also holds true for a lot of other companies in the industry. But uh being flexible and also open for reasonable decisions to evolve and to move forward. Also another very important part. And then now if we go into the part that is how can you, well, if you considered and you decisioned and you're in the transition is basically in progress. So yeah. um, what should or could you do? And here maybe I'm repeating myself from earlier. I am a very huge fan of open, honest and transparent communication. Like yeah. more, even even the part that is, I don't know right now, but I communicate mm -hmm. it, and you know that I will take care of it and follow up with you. Um, the other part, and this is like a, a little retrospective actually, uh, is pulling band-aids off. Again, we arrive at children again. Uh, <laughs> it, pulling it slowly and slowly, you, you, you will not have a lot of happy children around you. But Doing it the quick way. Um, well, of course, it will still hurt, uh, but then it's over and you can focus again on building that Lego castle or uh, <laughs> building that new and awesome product or working on the integration of your product. 
uh, into the company. So instead of, uh, if you notice something is going to happen, instead of having like a gradual, like let's take one step and then we take another step and then maybe another and then we see, uh, communicate where, where your North Star is or whether which direction you're moving. Even if you know that that it might some people unhappy, you will never be able to make all people happy at the same time. I think this is also an important insight. But uh, communicate, band-aids off, do one communication, be honest uh, and accept and manage and mitigate the, the, the impact from that rather than being afraid of what will happen and then navigating into a... Ah, into a gray mosh where nobody knows what is true. And again, you're on the hallway gossip mode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Uh, and then last but not least, maybe uh, no walled garden. So when Stoker joined Klarna, um, we were our own, Klarna calls them domains. You could think of them as business units or as independent startups in the company. Uh, so we, in the end, more or less, we, we took Stokart, gave things Klarna names, and that was us. Um, and then for quite some time, uh, not a lot of things happened. In the end, leadership still managed the uh, the relationship to, well, investors in the past. Now, Klarna senior leadership. Um, yeah. We had touch points. We were able to tap into those benefits that we had with Klarna. Um, but things were kind of stable. Uh, and then we we went through a uh, mixer with our domain. Uh, now today I'm taking care of like of well three M and As uh, and two other well, product groups that build a lot of diverse uh, and interesting topics around the topic that is in-store and retail relationships. Um, and what happened once? There, there was not the, the walled and safe garden of, yeah, we, we do things somehow like we did before. We just call them differently. Uh, people were exposed to, to, to Klarnauts, to people working at Klarna. And they were like, A, huh, these are cool people. B, Klarna is not a hive mind like the book in Star Trek, but these are individuals and the teams are individuals and the groups are individuals. And actually, kind of, while Klarna is a very well-defined operational model, there are Klarna flavored implementations of that. There's not the Klarna way and it's like a cult. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Realizations yeah. that you need to make coming from startup. And that is important for the people to make. So try to tear down those, any kind of walls or not even build them if you are kind of in this merging and integration process and expose people, mix things up uh, and get people to interact and talk uh, to uh, this this new environment, this this lake, get them to jump into the lake and swim around a bit. Yeah, no, I love that. I think the message is definitely that an acquisition doesn't mean you're selling your soul and that your company is going to be completely different. Absolutely. Um, and something you touched on there kind of was leading me on to my next question. Obviously, the benefits of acquisitions are kind of scaling, growth, profitability. Um, you mentioned there kind of the people at Klarna and the interaction also being a benefit when, when your company is acquired. Was there any other benefits that you've seen since the acquisition that maybe were a surprise to you or something that you didn't think would actually um, be as much of a positive as it has been? Oh, very interesting question. So uh, I think on the, the positive side of things, uh, and actually this is also true for myself, I expected the part of jumping out of that comfort zone that is your startup uh, sounded challenging. Um, but 
once I did that, and I also heard that from other people, um, suddenly, well, your your scope grew. You saw more things. You learned more things. You had more people to bounce things off. Um, so this f was for me a very positive surprise. So uh, I had like this, well, probably naive vision of, well, in the end, we'll be, we'll continue to do Stokart and then we'll bring Stokart forward and this will bring Glana uh, forward. Uh, so all is good. Um, in reality, what happened uh, is in the end today, uh, as I said, I am taking care of a lot of lovely people and engineers uh, with very diverse products. I'm active like in engineering overall in all of Klarna with a lot of interesting projects uh, like, I don't know, culture, uh, branding or AI is an interesting topic. Uh, and uh, in the end, what was maybe a, oh, I am uncertain and maybe a bit unsure about this, the, the others, what is behind that wall? So again, tearing down that wall uh, turned out to be really, really positive. Yeah. And then the other part, and probably trying to transfer that to 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 to, to everybody, uh, I think the part is as a gigantic organization. I would say that Plana has solved every a lot of the problems that you can have as a person within Plana. A lot of times, to put it like that. So uh, leveraging and tapping into that existing body of knowledge, that experience from the past, even though it, if it might not be your this singular specific problem, but uh, often you arrive at the same problems over and over. Uh, mm -hmm. And then having the capability to tap into people at that, I think, primarily. So, uh, well, knowledge management based on tools, on documents, etc., while powerful, you often un kind of it is helpful to find the right person very often, yeah. uh, and then you, you you tap into their their brains and their mind, uh, and then you basically show them like, hey, I, I have this pen. This is a problem I'm having. How do I open that one? Uh, while they might not have this specific pen, they might have probably have opened a lot of different pens in the past, yeah. and then you can actually co-grow, and suddenly you have a relation with someone. And the next time they might be running into a problem with pens, they might know, well, let's let's say I have flow and speed dial. So let, let's see uh, how he dealt with the Sharpie that he opened at one time. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, tapping into this, again, here's probably more of a hive mind, but like a, a, <laughs> a social organizational hive mind of um, I need help and I need insights. Uh People don't expect that you know how to solve each and everything. And I think they're also important insight. Once you get past that and just ask people, that, that allows you to really tap into the huh, capabilities, the uh, things that, like in our case, Kana had to offer. Yeah, nice. And I imagine also quite rewarding, likewise, you in your position now, people from within Kana coming to you for advice must be fulfilling and rewarding and, and give you something back as a leader of Stockard now into Klarna. Definitely, definitely. And uh, always happy to, to, to radiate some of that, that people energy uh, also into the wider Klarna organization. Oh, I love that, definitely. Would you know, Flo, I think you've definitely had an amazing journey. It's been incredible to kind of listen to it all and, and find out more. And you've definitely shared a lot of really key piece of, pieces of advice for either people on your journey, starting your journey. Um, but one of the final questions I wanted to ask to you is, what are you most proud of in terms of kind of 
your impact on people, the entrepreneurship, the successful transition, the being an engineering director at Klarna. Um, yeah, what is it that you're most proud of? Well, uh, thank you, Sophie. Very good question. Um, I suppose you mean a part being uh, interviewed by you in the Evolution Ethics podcast? <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, Alrighty. Uh, I guess the, the obvious one is, well, carrying and evolving like a company from, I don't know, three people, three desks, three Marcus chairs from Ikea, two MacBooks, one ThinkPad <laughs> in a 16 square meter office somewhere in Mannheim to, uh, well, exiting Europe's leading digital wallet with 70 million users to Klarna. Of course, I'm very proud of that. Uh, I'm also very proud to now be part of Klarna and mm -hmm. that this was not the end of the story. Uh, and there was also, again, uh, room for me to continue growing. Um, but as this is the boring, what I'm proud of answer, uh, one of the, the non-obvious things that I would like to share. So um, as you might have felt, I like people. Yeah. So um, one of the things that always makes me happy and proud is, I don't know, when I pop by in the Mannheim office. In the meantime, also similar in some other Klana offices, I see smiles on people's faces and I see, feel like a certain kind of connection. It's not like, oh, look, there's flow. <laughs> but, but it's more of, of, hey, nice, cool that you're here. What brings you here? Let's have a coffee. Want to join for lunch? Uh, and supporting this awesome people and knowing that it's not like a, I'm not the guy that with like a, a gigantic drum set that is basically goals, impact, delivery, and computers. Uh, yeah. But it's this, this, that this connection that I help shaping and building in Stokart also can exist in this gigantic company uh, that is Klarna uh, and that this still works. This is something that actually makes me very happy. My wife always says that when I come home after their office, after an office day that I'm, uh, again, annoyingly energized and in a good... <laughs> 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 oh, with people and spending great time with people and having that connection is something that also uh, makes me very proud. Yeah. Do you know what you can really tell? I think anyone who listens to this back will really be able to feel how passionate you are. Really, really inspirational as well. Um, so, yeah, thank you for, for joining me. Is there any kind of final last comments you want to kind of say or add into the, to the podcast before we kind of um, finish this up? Um, well, first of all, Sophie, thank you very much for having me. It was my great pleasure. Um, apart from that, I, I, I think I said everything I have to say. Um, if anybody is interested in getting more insights, uh, maybe sharing some stories, uh, I happen to to be in Berlin, Stockholm, in Mannheim uh, <laughs> quite, quite a lot. Uh, ping me, uh, happy to engage uh, and do some shared learning, to put it like that. Uh, and then, of course, uh, a long list of shout outs where at one point in time the, the Oscar hook will pull me off stage. <laughs> but, well, thanks, of course, uh, to the crew uh, of Stokart, uh, then to the crew of Klarna for the last 12 slash two years. Uh, it was a blast and I'm looking forward to the future. Oh, yeah. I don't think your journey is even anywhere near finished now, is it? It's kind of just beginning. Um, so, yeah, looking forward to kind of seeing how you progress as well. So, brilliant. Thank you, Flo. And thank you to everyone else who's kind of listened to this. And, of course, as always, let me know any feedback. If anybody wants to reach out to Flo, I'm happy to introduce you. Um, and thank you for listening.